Hello and welcome to Tea Soul Pop. My name's Eve. And I'm Laura. And today we're going to be talking about common myths that circle in Tea Soul and education overall. So today we have myths that we're going to explore. The first one is younger learners learn language faster than adults. The second one is that younger generations demand more technology in their education. And third, reading helps us to acquire vocabulary. Four, learners have a preferred learning style. And finally, teaching vocabulary in semantic sets is more effective. Okay, so let's start with the first one. So younger learners learn language faster than adults. Why is this a myth? Well, it's a very prevalent idea in educational circles. I think that everybody's had that friend that's gone to live in a foreign country and they've taken their son or daughter and the child has come back fluent. Um, I think there's been a misinterpretation of Chomsky's critical period hypothesis. So the critical period hypothesis holds that uh, the ability to learn is linked to age. So young children still have plasticity of the brain which means that they can acquire fully um, the phonemes of the language as well as grammatical aspects. And also along with that, there's a lot of research on foreign accent that shows that um, when adults, people who have learned a second language as an adult are rated in terms of how much foreign accent they have, they very rarely come out with a native-like accent. Mm -hmm. Um, So most people tend to think that younger is better and I think you can see the impact if you look around at the demand for very young learner classes at the moment. So from what you're saying, it does sound like there's evidence to suggest that younger learners learn better than adults. Well, I think the problem is that the critical period hypothesis was never meant to apply to classroom instructional settings. So whereas it might be true that if you take your young child to live in a foreign country, they're playing in English, they're speaking English all day, every day, um, you know, they're having that constant input Mm -hmm. in the second language. Yes, they're going to learn that second language almost perfectly. Uh, you can't really apply that to a situation where a child is having only one or two hours of English mm-hmm. per week. It just doesn't work like that. Um, so there's also an interesting study which was done by Carmen Munoz at the University of Barcelona called the Barcelona Age Project. And basically they tested um, students that had started learning English at different ages Um, They tested the ultimate attainment, which is the level that they get to after a a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And what they actually found was it was the late starters um, that were actually more effective learners. Well, I wouldn't have expected that to be the result. That's really surprising. And basically, I feel like I have no excuse to learn a new language now. (laughs) So, Laura, you're going to tell us a little bit about um, the second myth, which is younger generations demand more technology in their education. Yeah, so you may have heard this term digital natives. I think that's gone around quite a lot in ELT um, journals and also in education, like whether it's The Guardian or whatever. It's, It's been around quite a bit. And this whole concept goes back to 2001, where Mark Prensky... Um, coined this term and basically said the younger generation like generation y and all that because they're using a lot more technology um, think of smartphones and how popular they are now this generation therefore demands a technological savvy education so basically educators should update their classrooms to to cater Mm -hmm. their uh, learning to this tech savvy group Mm -hmm. 
The problem is, and this has been disproved quite a lot, and I, I don't want to spend too long talking about this because I think our listeners can go out and just like type digital natives and find yeah. lots of journals and articles that, that disprove this myth. But basically, there's a huge disparity between how we use technology for our personal time and mm. how we need to use it for education purposes. That's interesting. So you think about like just your day-to-day. How did you use technology outside of work? Well, for me, it's probably things like WhatsApp, you know, yeah. um, for communicating with other people, maybe a bit of uploading photos to Instagram, simple things like that. So like social stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that aligns with um, more current research in 2011 by the Office of National Statistics that found 16 to 24 year olds used most of their online time to do social activities, mm. such as the ones you just described. Now, that's obviously going to be quite different in the classroom where you may be expected to integrate um, where you may be expected to interact with things like LMS systems, learning management mm. systems like Blackboard, Moodle, or even things like Padlet on a smaller scale, which is more of a, like a pinboard sort of online version. Mm-hmm. Um, and learners won't know how to use that unless you show them. In addition to that, if you're going to be using things like the internet and getting learners to search things, you're going to have to train them in digital literacy skills so mm. they can fulfill those learning aims. So you can't just assume that, oh, just because a learner knows how to turn on an iPhone or use a Walkman back in my day, that they're going yeah. to be instantly be able to transfer that to an educational setting. Yeah, I noticed, I think, when I was using the iPads with one of my classes that, um, I think they were about 10 or 11 years old, they were struggling to connect the iPads to the Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so moving on to number three, and this is one that I used to believe, um, and that is reading helps us to acquire vocabulary. Yeah, because it seems very intuitive, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I think we've all heard teachers say that. We've all heard uh, parents say that as well, that if you want to get a big vocabulary, you have to read a lot of books. But actually, the evidence is a little bit sketchy. So there's this one study by Waring and Tataki, um, and they had learners read graded readers. Uh, They were tested on 25 unknown words, and they found that the most frequent words were the most likely to be learned, but most of the 25 went unlearned. And then when tested, three months later, only one of those 25 words were actually remembered. And there's actually quite a few of studies that have similar results, that the gains are quite small, much smaller than you would think. Mm -hmm. So why do you think this is? Well, I think coverage is a huge issue. So when we talk about coverage, what we mean is the amount of words that we need to be able to know to be able to successfully comprehend a text. Mm -hmm. So there are different estimates on what that percentage is, um, but one study by Hugh and Nation estimated about 95 to 98% of words. I'm really surprised by that figure. I didn't think it would be that high. It's huge. Um, And if readers don't comprehend the text, then acquisitions are slightly to happen, of course. Um, There's also some evidence that suggests that their ability to successfully guess meaning from context is not as strong as we previously thought. Mm -hmm. So I think um, that's another reason why... But I think even then, I would never discourage a learner from reading. Oh, of course not. I think it's a, it's a wonderful pleasure that I can engage them with the, uh-huh. the language that they're learning. What I do wonder is if um, they could be deepening some other type of knowledge through yeah. reading. So whether that's enriching knowledge of already known vocabulary yeah. words. Or I've even heard people say uh, grammatical structures before, yeah. but I don't know... 
really whether that's the case. So number four is particularly an interesting one for me because it seems to be quite a deep-rooted belief in a lot yeah. of teachers, uh, but that's learners have a preferred learning style. Oh man, I really hate this one, you know. It just <laughs> seems to be one that follows me around wherever I go. Mm-hmm. With every training group I have, it always comes up. And I just don't know why it won't die. <laughs> um, but there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that, oh, you're a visual learner, I'm a kinesthetic learner, and mm. he's an auditory learner. You just really can't box people in that mm-hmm. way. And it completely disregards context. Like, the context in which you're learning is obviously going to change the way you prefer to learn or the way you learn best. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about your own experiences of learning maybe, I don't know, art and tech at school and how that may vary from learning English literature. Mm-hmm. Maybe your English literature teacher would have used, I don't know, some books and examples and poetry, deconstruct that. Maybe there's some bit of movement in the classroom, but I, I didn't have a lot. Whereas working in ceramics and stuff like that, there was a lot of demonstration, you try it, get feedback, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So I don't think you can really box people in that way. So there's no empirical evidence at all? Absolutely none. So again, as mentioned with the digital literacy one and the whole concept of a digital native, there's been a lot of writing on this. And I don't want to give it too much airtime because I feel like I'm just reiterating what Mm. other bloggers and journal writers have done so well in disproving that there just isn't enough to say oh, you are a visual learner. It just doesn't work that way, Mm -hmm. just based on the fact that, obviously, the way we learn is going to vary depending on the context. Yeah, I guess it comes from that idea that everyone wants to think they're special, doesn't it? Yeah, I like to think I am, but I'm not a visual learner, nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to number five. Teaching vocabulary in semantic sets is more effective. So this is the whole idea that if I'm teaching vocabulary I should group it in terms of like colours or food or animals that sort of thing right? Mm -hmm, Exactly and I think this is so interesting because it's what we all actually actively do most of the time in our lessons Uh Um, it's easy isn't it to organise vocabulary and teach vocabulary in that way and most course books also present it in that way too. I was just about to blame it on the course books Yeah. uh, yeah but you're absolutely right but yeah there's an excellent article by Falls um, debunking eight vocabulary myths Um, And he speaks about how learners are actually more likely to mix items up when they're presented in a semantic set compared to, say, a thematic set. Mm. Um, So when we talk about a thematic set, um, what we mean is words that are connected through a theme or a context as opposed Mm -hmm. to a semantic set. So he gives the example of a party. So uh, learners read a text about a party Mm-hmm. And then vocabulary presented within that set might be things like Saturday, Sunday, beach, party, brother, cousin, fish. So some of those words are related um, semantically, but it's actually the overarching context that links them together. Um, and when words are taught that way, learners are less likely to mix them up. Mm. Well, that really lends nicely to top-down approaches to teaching where, like you say, you can use a text mm-hmm. or even an audio to contextualise the language and then draw it out to teach the learners. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Um, and I know we just said that course books often present stuff in semantic sets, but actually I think there has been a huge shift in the last um, 10 or 20 years towards presenting vocabulary in more of a contextualised, thematic way. Yeah, and that lends to learners then using the language in a communicative context as well, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're just doing colours 
as your main mm. vocabulary, Amy. I mean, what a learner's going to do with that in an actual communicative setting. Yeah, it's really difficult to think of a communicative task where they can use all of those at once. Yeah. So I feel like we did a lot of work today in debunking quite a few common myths in education and TESOL. So just to recap... Uh, younger learners do not learn faster than adults in a classroom setting and you can learn a language at any age. I find that really encouraging, actually. Mm-hmm. And number two, um, the younger generation don't necessarily demand a tech-savvy education. In fact, the way we use technology outside the classroom and inside the classroom are very different and you have to prepare for that to train your learners for it. Number three, um, reading can help us acquire some vocabulary, but it's probably less vocabulary than we had thought. Yeah. And number four, learning styles, they just don't exist. Um, How we learn depends and varies greatly depending on the context. And number five, teaching vocabulary in a semantic set is not as effective as teaching it in a thematic set. So I think some of the takeaways that I've taken from this is that um, if you're interested in trying something out in the classroom or reflecting a little bit more on your own practice, it's always a good idea to look for evidence-based sources. So to read journal articles, studies, and to be really up to date with what's happening out there. Yeah, I agree. If you hear of an idea or something like that, then do try and trace it back to the source. Mm -hmm. Is there research to you to support it? And is the research reliable as well, or is it still in its infancy? So I think that's something to take into consideration, as well as what you observe in your own lessons. Like, does it apply to your context within which you're teaching? And finally, for me, some of these myths I actually held myself. I'm quite embarrassed Mm. to say I used to believe in learning styles. Mm -hmm. I can't believe I'm saying that on on, on air. (laughs) But it's really important to keep up to date with things and be prepared to unlearn something. Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Part of of learning is, you know, in your development than anything else. So that's all from us for this week. See you next week. Bye. So if you've got a question that you want us to answer, you can contact us at www.teaselpop.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And that's all from us this week. See you next week.